Thoughts of Fatherhood podcast. I'm your host. My name is Kelly, and I'm here to remind you, however you're listening and wherever you're listening, that as dads, we're just like moms. Except we're dads. Ha Stark. Uh, I live in Sydney, Australia with my wife who is from Florida uh, and my two children. Uh, my little girl is five years old. My little boy will turn three in October. Um, and I guess for the last few years, I've been writing and talking and advocating on fatherhood in Australia, um, something I've kind of fallen into in a way. Um, I guess when I was big starting out thinking about becoming a father when we were my wife was pregnant with our daughter I was like a lot of you know parents or, or wannabe parents I was looking around for literature guidance books you know information to get myself you know, mentally prepared to be a dad mm-hmm. and I just found so much of what was written was targeted towards mums um, like overwhelmingly all the blogs the websites the books and there just wasn't a lot speaking to what it's like to become a dad those mm-hmm. first few weeks, months, and years. Uh, so I just started writing about my experiences and sharing my stories of being a new dad, mostly just to try and improve the conversation to get other dads talking about it as well. Mm-hmm. And I guess from that writing, I, I became more of a, a vocal advocate for how can we change our, our systems and our supports to allow men the time to be carers and to encourage men to be carers because in Australia we have a very sort of masculine culture and we tend to think of men as breadwinners and like providing for their families. We Mm -hmm. don't tend to think of them as loving, nurturing carers. So for the last few years I've been talking about that and about trying to encourage men to consider taking time out of work to care for their kids and trying to talk to some of our our different um, public institutions about how we can change our policies and services so that men actually have the time to focus on being a dad, not just a worker. So that's why I think I'm here talking to you today, Kelly. Yeah, no, absolutely. And everything that you said, if you were to just substitute who you are and you were to plop me into what you just said, it's the identical story, the identical story, just finding out I was going to be a father and I surveyed the landscape and there was nothing for me, you know, and that was eye-opening in a huge way. Can you think back to that moment of here you are, you're an expectant dad, you're realizing that there isn't anything out there that is helping you or at least catered to you. What mental space were you in then um, and how did the lack of that support play into like the first couple of, you know, your entry into fatherhood, so to speak? Yeah, um, that's a great question. So I guess in the lead up to our daughter being born and my wife and I were having lots of conversations about how we wanted to run our family and how we would juggle work and and life and sort of talking about um, taking 
parental leave. So my wife was going to take so 10 months of, of maternity leave. But um, in our conversations. Wait, wait, excuse me. Did we were, you say 10 months? Yeah, 10 months of maternity leave. Wow. So I think, uh, so she was able to take that time off from her employer. Uh, her employer didn't pay her anything. She was able to access a government scheme I think for the first, if I'm correct, sort of three or four months. Okay. Then after that, it was unpaid. Okay. Um, but she was at least got some money for the first couple of months. Yeah, yeah. Know, to keep us going. And I was working through that time. I guess my starting point was I wanted to just be a really active, involved dad. I guess I didn't really know what that meant or how that was going to play out day to day. But I remember thinking back to my childhood and I had my dad, you know, was a, he's a wonderful guy, but he did what society told him to do and he worked a lot. He travelled a lot for work, mm. worked long hours, and you know, I didn't see him a lot during the week. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wanted it to be different for my kids. I wanted to be there from the start. So I guess that was my starting point into fatherhood was I want to be involved. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be on the sidelines. And then it was trying to work out how to make that a reality. And I guess it was hard at first because I think there were a lot of kind of awkward conversations with family and and work about, you know, how can I take leave and how can I have some time off to be uh, at home with the baby? And there just wasn't the same natural support that a mum gets. When a mum takes time off work, no one bats an eyelid and everyone's very Mm -hmm. supportive because they expect it. Right. Um, But when a dad turns around to ask for, so I was trying to take, I took three weeks off of the birth of my daughter just to be at home, Mm -hmm. just to like to meet her and to learn a little bit about parenting. And then I wanted to take some some months off once my wife went back to work. Mm-hmm. I wanted to step out of the workforce for a few months. Uh, and I guess that was my introduction to the attitudes that we have around fatherhood. There was not a lot of obvious pushback, but a lot of curiosity about why are you doing this? Yeah. You're the dad. <laughs> yeah. Why are you asking for parental leave? Yeah. Um, and then a lot of questions tied to your job. You know, is your boss really going to be happy with you doing this? Like, can you really leave work for a few months? Yeah. And then some of the more, I don't know, some of those questions that women just don't get asked. I was, you know, even my parents would be like, but aren't you going to be bored at home just mm. taking care of a baby? Mm-hmm. It's like, well, First point, no, I'm not. It's going to be great. But second, you didn't ask my wife that. Yeah. You, know, you didn't ask whether she's going to be bored for 10 months taking care of a baby. Why is suddenly my entertainment worth more than my wife? So that was really an introduction to I see here. Like this isn't the done thing. I'm going to be kind of a loner. Um, and I guess that can be kind of confronting in a way at first and it can kind of be isolating. And um, I guess I had moments too where I was – I. I I had a bit of self-doubt. I was like, am I really doing the right thing or am mm-hmm. I somehow like abrogating my responsibilities to my family by doing this? Mm-hmm. But I guess, it, you know, at my core I was always just determined to be there and be that really present for my children and that was sort of my guiding um, objective and I was going to try and make life sort of fit around that and sort of not bow to that pressure to just return to work and, and leave the caring to my wife. Yeah, is it fair to say that at that moment, that was probably one of the most vulnerable moments of your life as a man, just period? Because obviously you yeah. weren't a father before, but as a man, would, would that is that a fair characterization to say that you felt very vulnerable at that point? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I think it's very fair characterization. You felt vulnerable, um, and I guess... 
you're sort of going against the you know cultural norms and bucking the trends. So um, there were feelings of even though I, I in my heart of hearts I knew I was doing what I wanted to do and right. the right thing for my family. There's still those times where you might feel a bit embarrassed about it, or yeah, awkward or yeah. sheepish, and you can see people are a bit sort of curious as to why you're doing it or maybe at work they're a bit frustrated that you're doing it. Um, and that can just be a bit draining and emotionally sapping. But I just knew at the end of the day, even if I, even though I was a new dad, I just knew that this time was so precious and fleeting, you know, the, with time with your baby and your newborn. Yeah. It's only going to happen a couple of times in your life at best. So I just didn't want to miss it. Um, and so I was happy to sort of take on that sort of baggage around me doing these things differently from other men because I just knew it was going to be worth it um, in the end. I 100% agree. I did the same thing. I took three months off of work and stayed home with my son. My wife transitioned back into work. And that's why I asked you the previous question because I know for me that was absolutely the case. I mean, I felt so vulnerable at that time. And like you, even though I knew in my heart of hearts, like that was the thing that I wanted to do. There was no doubt about it. No question, no hesitation. It was you go to, you know, you birth the baby, you spend your time with them. When you're ready to go back, then I'm going to spend my time with them. And at work necessarily, I did not get any pushback. Or if I did, maybe I just kind of tuned it out. Where I did get some interesting comments and unsolicited advice and unsolicited support were from, you know, my in-laws who are very well-meaning, but it was like, hey, if you want, you know, we can help you take care of the baby and you can, you can bring him over to us. And I'm just like, nope, I'm cool. I got it. <laughs> you yeah. know, I'll, I'll, I'll be able to handle it. And I was not aware of just how deeply ingrained like these type of, of um, I guess, assumptions are in the culture, in the fabric of how people think about parental roles. And yeah. that was a rude awakening for me. Yeah. And yeah, because I built into those, those comments, right, is just that sense that you're not going to be able to, to hack it. You're not going to be able to do all those things you're going to need to do as a parent. You're going to need support. Um, right. And, of course, you know, all parents need support from yes. time to time. But there's nothing, you know, there's nothing that stops a man from being a great carer. And that's one of the messages I've been trying to take around when I've been talking around Australia about this. And it seems so basic. It's just to tell men that you can be amazing carers too. You just need the time and the space to be allowed to do it. You know, don't let people tell you that you're a sidekick to the mom or you're just not going to be competent. Uh, you're absolutely capable of doing everything in parenting except breastfeeding. You can do the rest. So don't let anyone tell you otherwise. And I think, um, and I think the, the, to, to add to that too is it's not going to look the same way as how mom does it. Right. Like it's yeah. it's going to take a different form. It's going to look differently. We're not like our minds function differently. We have different ways of seeing and thinking and, and all of that. So when it comes to to materializing that and how I care for my son, I mean, my wife cares for him 
beautifully, but in her way. And I believe I care for my son beautifully, but definitely in my way. Yeah. And that's, and that's, that's great. Right. And that's what you want in, in parenting is your child gets both of those experiences and both those approaches. And it's a really rich, you know, it's a really rich experience for your kids to have both mum and dad so hands on and sort of nurturing and, and loving. I'm curious too, Kelly, your experience of, the hospital, because that was another one, just thinking about mm, mm-hmm. what we're talking about. I remember, so my daughter was born at about 8 o'clock at night and then the usual stuff, you know, when she's born about, you know, skin to skin with the mum and mm-hmm. having a cuddle and all that. But by about I think 10 or 10.30 at night, I was kind of getting told by the hospital staff, you got to go. It's, you know, you can't stay here overnight. Oh, really? Um, yeah, because they don't, basically don't allow "quote unquote" visitors to stay with the mum. Visitors um, in the maternity suite, yeah. And I was really shocked. I'm like, you expect me to? My daughter's two hours old, and you, you think I'm going to go home and get a good night's sleep and come back in the morning? <laughs> I, was, I was really. Oh my stunned. goodness! I was like, I was like, no, can't I sleep anywhere on the chair on the floor? And they kind of made a fuss and said, "All right, well, we'll make an exception. You can kind of sleep on a rubber mat on the floor next to your wife." And no way. I hadn't even, as- I hadn't even assumed I'd need to ask for permission. I just was, of course, I'm going to stay here overnight with my wife. Are you kidding me? Um, but they're, they're, that's like such to me. It's such a powerful signal you send men, and it still happens. Like, okay, time for you to go home. Your wife and your baby will stay overnight, and you can come back in the mornings. <laughs> oh, no, uh, absolutely not. Um, but it, that, that sort of stuff happens all the time. And I think, you know, those first few days when dads are trying to find their feet to get those sort of messages too, which is essentially like your surplus to requirements, you can just go home and, and come back and bring some fresh clothes and food. And like, it, again, it's always sort of putting men off to the side saying, no, 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 you're secondary. You're a sidekick here. You don't, you don't need to be so intimately involved. We're going to teach your wife how to breastfeed and, you know, read the baby signals and you can go and do something else. And it always stuck with me. I was like, I, I couldn't believe it. And, you know, so you say your daughter is what, five years old? Yeah, five years So old. she was born in 2016. Yeah, that's not, not the dark ages. <laughs> so, it's, yeah, wow. 2016. So my experience was different because my son was born in May. So we were only two months into the pandemic, to the start of the pandemic last year. So I had to stay in the hospital. If I left, I was not going to be able to come back. However, what was interesting was that when I was in there, I went in there prepared with the mindset of, I am going to be present at the bedside whenever someone walks in. So if I'm sitting on the sofa and a doctor or nurse, whoever walks in, I'm going to get up and go stand next to my wife so that they can see me too. Because we had had an experience, an unfortunate experience where we experienced a miscarriage and we went to to the clinic and we're sitting in a very small room and my wife is is uh, obviously the patient and I'm sitting in a corner somewhere like I'm on timeout and uh, white walls, very tiny room, doctor comes in and from my vintage point, when he opens the door, I am the first person that he will see and then from his periphery, he can see my wife. So opens the door and completely ignores the fact that I'm sitting there and is just addressing yeah. 
my wife. And I think he had a resident with him who walked in behind him. And it was she who acknowledged me, the only person who acknowledged me. And that has stuck with me in such a way that when we went to the hospital for my son, it was, I don't care, come hell or high water, I'm going to stand right by her bedside so that when someone, anyone comes in, they can see me too. Because I work in a hospital setting and one of the things that's lacking is the understanding that the patient is not just the one who's in the hospital bed. The patient in the hospital setting is anyone who's related to the one who's in that hospital bed that is presently in that space at any given moment. So I'm also the patient, even though my wife is the primary patient, right? So, So that dynamic made it that I was standing right there. So whenever someone came in and they would ask her a question, then we would answer. And that was something that she and I had spoken about because- I didn't want to feel like I was this nobody. This woman would not have gotten pregnant if I didn't help that process. Uh, yeah, look, that reminds me too. I had similar experiences with, with our obstetrician, uh, who we, we used the same obstetrician for both our kids. And look, she was wonderful um, on the day of delivery. She was fantastic. Mm-hmm. Those appointments leading up, I went to every single one of those appointments to see the scans and the check-in and mm-hmm. make sure everything was okay. But in those appointments, I was very much watching the conversation between the obstetrician and my wife and was trying to sort of you know, interject and contribute mm-hmm. but you could see she wasn't really interested in and how what I was you, going yeah. or, or our discussions as a couple yeah. was very much about you know, talking to my wife, scanning, and I was just there to sort of be a spectator. Um, and it just happens, you know, happens a lot. And I think my gut instinct is I think it does send this message to a lot of men. It's like, oh, this isn't really my place. This like I'm getting the sense that I'm not meant to be involved. I'm not meant to be here. And I think mm-hmm. it does for for some men when the lead up to father think, all right, well, I'll take a back seat. That's clearly what's expected of me. I think that's really sad because, you know, there is so much excitement and joy in the lead up, you know, during the pregnancy to see the baby growing in the womb and uh-huh. you know, hear the heartbeat and all that. You don't want men to feel like they have a lesser, you know, involvement in that. Um, and it's just, yeah, it's all these little subtle signals go out. And I think that really sinks in into men's minds about the type of role they play as a father once the baby comes. reflecting on my own experience and the lead in the lead up to my son's birth, there were these messages being thrown out, you know, make sure that you support your wife and basically play the supporting actor role, which I have absolutely no problem with because the reality of the matter is my body didn't change in the way that my wife's body changed. Right. So she was doing the hardest part of you know, the work so that we can both be parents. Hands down, nobody's debating that whatsoever. But to not have any uh, messages being thrown out there to help me feel like, hey, this is not a matter of 
your wife versus you. This is a matter of the two of you together, right? This is her and you. It got to the point where, yeah, I thought that being a good husband and a good partner was to play the supporting role. And so I was doing, I mean, I should have won an Oscar for best supporting role, (laughs) right? But it got to the point that when the baby was born and we came home, that the reality that all of those messages were sort of uh, not hinting at, but creating was that the baby is now here and the one who is the crucial parent in terms of the survival of that child, in terms of the material things is mom because she was breastfeeding, right? So she's breastfeeding and According to what my mom said, I used to eat when I was a baby and my son was just like that. I mean, he could eat. So he is eating and he is, I mean, breastfeeding and my wife is tired and I'm tired and, and, and he just wants to be with his mother. And so I'm feeling like I was already on the outside and now I'm just feeling even more and more alienated. So I'm trying to. You know, I just feel like, okay, Kel, you almost won this Oscar, but, you know, this is a different film now. Now let's, let's give that same performance again. And that same performance was, it just felt impossible at that time because I really felt like an accessory then, you know, can you get me the diapers? Can you get me the, uh, the wipes? Can you warm this thing? Can you, can you, can you? And it's like, yeah, sure. I want to do all of those things, but I also want to feel like. I'm a part of this thing. You know, why doesn't he want to hang out with me? Why don't you want to engage with me in the same way that we used to engage with each other? So there's all of these things that change at the same time. And because of the echo of those messages of, remember, you're just the supporting actor. She's the primary one. It led me to a place where I felt like I was totally unneeded, totally useless. And I lashed out at my wife, you know, several weeks into this thing, like, Hey, I feel like you're not even paying attention to me anymore, but how could she have for crying out loud? We're, you know what I mean? So yeah, the, the effects of those messages did not prepare me for better handling the whirlwind that it is of bringing in a newborn into a home. Yeah. Yeah. And look, I think your experience is a really common one, right? I think a lot of dads go through that, you know, that sense of the world getting turned upside down in those first six weeks or so. Um, like uh, some of the the messaging, the advice dads get here when there's like support your wife, you know, after the labor, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's sort of, it's, it feels like it's often the wrong kind of support they're advising saying, you know, when you're, wife is feeding or, you know, you can go get her a cup of tea or you can make some food and all that's great. But absolutely, what yeah. we're talking about is hand me the baby and go and have a break. Yeah, yes. Like, you know, once you know, it's, it's, that's the support we're talking yes. about um, is just give me the baby and I'll look at least what we used to do when, when our kids were feeding is my, you know, as you said, they just are, are constantly send me to feed and mm-hmm. be clinging to mum. But when, both our kids were finished feeding. I'd be like, all right, well, hand me the baby and I will sort of burp and settle our baby. It's like you, you've you just spent 45 minutes or an hour breastfeeding. Yeah. 
I'll settle. <laughs> or let's you can pump me a bottle and I'll feed yeah. um, our kids in the middle of the night. I'll yeah. do the feed at 12 or 1 a.m. and be like, that's the kind of support we need to be talking about as dads. It's like, because you do get that bonding time with the kids. Yes. Um, and you're giving your wife a break. Yes. Um, and I still think it's one of the best things you can do as a dad. It's like when in doubt, take the crying baby and work it out for yourself. You know, like sometimes it's like, here, I'll, you just go, I'll take the baby. I'll figure out what needs to be done. And even if it's five minutes, 10 minutes, doesn't matter. Like that's the sort of support we're talking about. And I remember when I had a couple of friends who had kids before we did, and I sort of spoke to them before our daughter was born to get some, you know, advice from them. I thought they had, you know, experience. They'd been dads for a while. And, you know, a couple of them said to me, kind of like what you were told too, like in the first six months, there's nothing you can do. Yeah. The baby's just going to want mum. There's nothing you can do. So you kind of just hang back, wait for the baby to grow up a bit, and then you can get more involved. Yes, I, I heard, yeah. Thinking, oh, my God. Yeah. Yes. And I remember thinking, I'm no, certainly no expert, don't know a lot, but I'm like, it just felt wrong. Yes. It to me, just yep. jarred. I'm like, yep. I can't really believe that I can't do anything. For six months. six months. Yeah, but people genuinely, and I've heard it said a lot of times, mm-hmm. they're like there's nothing you can do. They're only going to want mum. Mm-hmm. Um, and kind of like your experience too, I guess, is that if you think that and then you think, okay, well, I'll hang back and just be the support act and it kind of becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy of like, see, they only want mum and uh, that advice was right. So I just remember that getting advice thinking that just doesn't sound right. Yeah. But, you know, there's, there's research centers here that, you know, do a lot of community attitude research and asking people what they think about parenting. And it's still a very commonly held view is that, you know, there's not much that a dad can do in the first six months and it's all about mum and they're out there and they get, that's the worry, right? They get passed from mm-hmm. family to family or, or father to father. And it still becomes this conventional wisdom where it's just not true. It's not true at all. Well, I'm glad that you brought up that point because that leads me to the next thing that I want to talk to you about and that everyone who is an adult now was at one point a child. And one of the things that we love to do as children is watch television and children's programming is this wonderful thing where you can learn so many different things. Right. And I read uh, and I deeply appreciated the article that I read uh Um, on LinkedIn that you wrote about something that has bothered me for such a long time, 15 months since becoming a dad. (laughs) Yeah. And that the perception of fatherhood has not changed over God knows how long. However, one of the biggest driving forces in preventing that perception from changing is in children's programming as well as in, you know, the rest of of media and pop culture. There is this thing that portrays the father in a particular light. And there are very few shows, cartoons, and what have you that actually have, have a positive depiction of a father figure. And the rest, I mean, you know, the classic one is the Homer Simpson, right? Yeah. Or, or... Yep. Uh, what's another one, man? I was watching, uh, I was watching this uh, this movie on Father's Day. Uh, oh, by the way, happy belated Father's Day in Australia. That, that oh, was thank what? You. Yeah, that yeah. was what a couple of days last ago. Sunday. Last Sunday. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. happy belated Father's Day to you, my friend. Thank you. 
Um, Thank you very much. But over here for Father's Day, there was this movie that got released called Fatherhood. Actor Kevin Hart. Um, was, oh, we've seen that. Oh, it's, I love it. That's okay. Great. So what bothered me about that movie was that the um, Kevin Hart's father-in-law was depicted as this like absent-minded guy. They probably yeah. had two very short conversations throughout the whole movie, but you know, here's this, here's his father figure who is just like, eh, he's there. He didn't add anything to the movie in any way, shape or form. His two best buddies who were themselves fathers were depicted as total buffoons. And it was like, well, if this movie's about fatherhood, then why aren't the male characters who are playing father roles being given more of a positive personality on the big yeah. screen with a megastar like Kevin Hart? Yeah. And to me, that didn't make any sense. So that's yet another example of, you know, a, a popular culture item that is continuing to project this very poor image of fatherhood. But I want to focus on, on the children's media because that's where kids are learning a lot of things. And it just feels like that's, that's the primary place aside from the life at home, but that's like, let's say one B right place that they are learning what a dad is is and setting those expectations yeah absolutely and it drives me nuts too and it's it's a lot of the kids programming you'd have in the in the u.s we, we're getting here as well we get a lot of british programming um i guess to start on a positive note there was a wonderful australian show that started about 18 months ago um basically it's called bluey um and it's about a family of essentially australian cattle dogs and they live um, in a in Brisbane in, in in Australia, and it's essentially it's all their games and family dynamics and experiences as a as a family of a mum and a dad and, and two little kids about sort of four and six, but it is the best and clearest and most beautiful expression of, of fatherhood because the dad is a very active, present, mm. hands on dad who's there who's emotionally attuned to his kids. He's, you know, he plays a lot of games with them. He's, you know, he's very much sort of helping to run the household. And it's wonderful. And it's this been refreshing depiction of what fatherhood can be like. Mm. So much so that you take a lot of examples of what you can do with your kids out of the show because they play some amazing games. And think, wow. wow, actually, we could do that in our backyard. <laughs> but he's a standalone. You know, it's like the one good icon in a sea of bad ones. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's like as you said, you know, the other big one in Australia is this British show. I'm not sure if you've got it in the States called Peppa Pig. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, again, it's, it's yeah. yeah. So Daddy Pig is the quintessential bumbling, incompetent father who – is like loving and well-meaning but can't really do anything. Mm -hmm. And before this Australian show, Bluey came along, that was sort of the dominant one in this space in Australia. Wow. And, you know, that's, as you said, our kids take so much about what the world is about through storytelling mm -hmm. and that's the stories they're getting mm -hmm. is that daddy is kind of the the goofy, incompetent sort of fun one and 
mum's the one for any serious problems or issues mm-hmm. and is the one running running things. And, yeah, I think a lot of kids take that away. And, you know, we see it in our, in our books, you know, it's the same dads are kind of not there mm-hmm. or they're at work a lot of the time. The other big ones that we're starting to watch because our kids are getting a bit older are obviously all the Disney movies and the Pixar movies mm. and, again, for a lot of the Disney princess movies, the dad either completely is completely aloof, mm-hmm. not attuned at all to his kids, or he doesn't understand his kids and what their needs and interests are. Mm-hmm. Um, and they sort of have this epiphany towards the end. But yeah, none of them are great role models of of what fatherhood's like. And our kids are just absorbing all this. And of course, they're going to take away messages about dad is either at work or he's kind of a bit distant and curious and I'll never kind of get to know him. And mm-hmm. It's, it's and you know, as you said, 2020, almost 2022 and, and here we are with these outdated tropes still going around and around and around. Um, I mean, I did love how, you know, Kevin Hart was trying to take that on, like his character in the movie, but you're right, he's just surrounded by not a lot of other positive male father figures. No. Um and they're still so so fleeting, and I don't know why it's, it hasn't changed. Because in so many other areas in pop culture, representation is is getting better in uh-huh. a lot of different ways. Uh-huh. But when it comes to fatherhood, it's yeah, it's still so outdated. You know, you could you could you know slip these shows back into the sixties or seventies, and it will fit right in quite comfortably. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and there doesn't seem to be much of an appetite. Or demand to see things change. People can be perfectly happy with that type of programming, which is equally sad. Were there any shows that you grew up watching that started to fill out the portrait of what fatherhood might look like for you? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, you've mentioned one. So, The Simpsons. I grew up on those early seasons of The Simpsons. So, as uh, I was probably what eight, nine, ten, and into my teenage years. So, that was definitely the most consistent depiction of fatherhood I saw was, was Homer. Um, and I probably saw him as hilarious and funny, but yeah, I guess I, you know, I probably took away the, the, I probably, you know, knew that it was, you know, he was a ridiculous character, but what I think I probably took away is that dad's work, mm-hmm. you know, dad's work a lot. They come home at the end of the day and they're exhausted. I think that was, I got that sense of, of dad's as sort of a provider. The other one that, I watched when I was a little a kid and probably left an impression too was Family Ties, the Michael J. Fox um, sitcom. Okay. So Family Family Ties was on like the 80s as a kid probably when I was six or seven or eight again. Okay. I was watching it a bit and the dad, a guy called Steve Keaton is the character on the show, was a pioneer for his time. So this is sort of the mid to late 80s, kind of the Reagan era in America <clears throat> and he was a really hands-on dad and and unique in the sense that he was doing a lot of the emotional counselling for his kids and mm-hmm. was a very sort of tender-hearted character. And I think that probably sort of subliminally left an impression on me about the type of father you can be, that sort of nurturing father. But, I mean, that was the, <clears throat> that was the 80s and you just didn't see a lot of that sort of role modelling, but he was a great positive role model. But then after that, yeah, it was Homer and then after that, I probably moved on to sort of the early adult years where you're not watching a lot of shows based around family. You're watching yeah. shows based around other stuff. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, even, you know, another show, I mean, I love Modern Family. I think Modern Family is a great comedy. And I think Ty Burrell is hilarious. But, again, he's sort of the slightly oblivious, yeah. well-intentioned, yeah. 
bumbling dad. Yeah. Um, who's always kind of getting in a mess and needs to be, you know, helped out by either his wife, Claire, or his kids. And, you know, yes, it's funny on one level, but it's like, oh, really, this is still where we, we're at with dad. It's like that he's more involved, but as equally sort of bumbling as, as ever before. And that was, you know, that only came out 15 or 10 years ago. Yeah. And, you know, I'm someone who at some point in my life I've been accused, well, not accused, but someone called me out of masking my true emotions uh, with comedy. Uh, You know, I used to get into awkward situations or really difficult situations with someone. And instead of just like addressing it in a responsible way, I would try to make a joke out of it. And someone called me out on that. So there is something to be said about the comedic medium as a way to address. That's why I love comics and stand up comedy because it's just brilliant how you can talk about really difficult topics through comedy and just make it relatable to so many people. Right. And I feel like there is a, a sense of that with children's books, children's programming and what have you, where everything is like, you know, the story is about two trucks, for instance, but the with the dynamics between the two trucks are addressing things that can help, you know, the child understand how to cope with feelings, how to cope with, um, or how to think about community. So, for instance, uh, one of my son's favorite books that we read to him is The Pout Pout Fish and the Bully Bully Shark. And, you know, it's a bunch of fish who are hanging out in a park underwater. But it's, the book is talking about, obviously, bullying and how to stand up to the bully and use your voice and, yeah. you know, foster community and, and, and all of that jazz, right? So that's the deeper meaning of it. But the medium is just a couple of sharks and a couple of fish just hanging out and things happen. So it just feels like there is a, I don't know if danger is too strong of a word, but it just feels like, it, it does feel dangerous, reckless even, to continue to perpetuate these images in in these seemingly innocent ways, you know, for children whose mind are just so eager to soak in anything and everything and starting yeah. to create uh, ways of seeing, like you said, that's how children begin to learn how to interact with the world and with each other and what have you. And it's just like, if that's a seed that's already planted in that child's mind, then no wonder when that child grows up to be an adult, they're going to start believing in a lot of the myths of fatherhood, number one. And like myself, we start to internalize, you know, things like, oh yeah, maybe I am just an accessory. Oh, maybe I am just a support person. Oh, maybe I don't have as much importance as my wife because she's the one who carried the child and her body went through this and that. My body didn't go through anything. So who gives me the right to say this, that, that, that. And all of these things undermining the bigger issue. Yeah, I, I, I think the thing I've sort of, realize the older I get is that that internalizing process, whatever the cultural message is, it, it sinks in deeper than sometimes you, you understand. Mm -hmm. I think there's some lessons that I have clearly absorbed as a teenager, as a young man, 
um, that take years to unpack and to dispel because you, I guess you don't realize how much, how ingrained it becomes and how it influences your opinions and assumptions. Yes. And yeah. And it's the same. Yeah, absolutely the same for the kids. They, they soak it up. You know, the, our daughters at that age now where we do get a little bit of tension that she'll come and say something like, no, that's only for boys or that's only for girls or girls can't do this or boys can't do that. Mm. We're trying very hard to break down those those norms at home. But mm-hmm. she goes to school and she talks to different kids mm-hmm. and she's starting to get those different messages. So even though we're trying really hard to like show all the range of things that a mum can do and a dad can do and to not talk about um, not limit them or put them in boxes. Like she still has a little bit of like, well, no, boys can't play with dolls or, well, you know, boys can't wear a dress to, to school. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's it happens so early and, and once they have those external sources, it can be really tricky as a parent to to know what they're we're absorbing and to, and to address it. And sometimes you only work out what they've absorbed once they give you some statement like, oh, no, boys can't play with, with dolls or play with babies and you have to be like, no, of course they can, um, and then sort of try to discuss it with them in a in a in a, in a way. So, yeah, that's it's it's really hard the pop culture element. Um, and I mean, I take a lot of heart from the fact this Australian show has gotten up and been produced and is really successful and is now available in different countries around the world. But um, yeah, they're they're one great example. In you know, they're in Ireland still at the moment. Yeah, they're surrounded by a sea of, of, of negative ones. And you know, I guess it's up to, to dads and mum to just be good role models at home. And and I guess that's what I was talking about in that article you mentioned is when you read something that sort of is jarring or you see something is to have a conversation in a kind of you know, chilled, lighthearted way with your kids about do you think that's really what you know a dad does or what do you you know do you think that's do you think your daddy's like that or they're different? And it just kind of let, help them question what they see mm-hmm. and to help give them that skill of sort of healthy doubt of being able to not just take all messages um, with authority but actually start to question the norms of what they see so they can sort of decide for themselves whether that's really what a mum and dad are like or really what boys and girls are like and to think a bit more deeply about it. fatherhood is changing because here we are two men who our style of fatherhood is definitely to do better than what we experienced as sons right in relation to our to some aspect of our relationship with with our own fathers and so we're and i think we represent uh, a growing number of men who are becoming or have become fathers who also want to do better t- for their children than their own experience. So how do you see the landscape of fatherhood shifting? And if you can project into the future, where where do you see this trend going or can you see a new trend of fatherhood growing would be a better question. Yeah. I I think, 
uh, I think you're right. I think there's definitely this sort of groundswell of men and young fathers or new fathers wanting to be more hands-on and wanting to be different from the previous generation. You know, I see that a lot in Australia. I think there is a lot of enthusiasm about being a hands-on dad. Mm -hmm. You see a lot of men saying, my dad wasn't quite like that. I want to be different. So I think men are coming with a more open attitude to fatherhood. Like, yes, they're still getting those cultural messages, but I think we've seen a lot of dads and there's there's a lot of survey work in Australia that shows this where they want to be hands-on, they want to be involved, and they want to try and to juggle work and family more evenly. So mm-hmm. I think the attitudes for men are starting to change. Um, where we're seeing a lot of movement in Australia too is a lot of our private companies, some of the big private companies and some of the, the white-collar industries like law or tax or consulting, mm-hmm. um, they're saying offer really generous paid parental leave packages that are gender neutral so mm-hmm. men and women can access them equally. Mm-hmm. And that's, I think, had a big change in the last five or ten years in Australia of helping a lot of men who would typically work long hours, have very demanding jobs and wouldn't think about time away from work. It's given them the permission to be a father and mm-hmm. to take that time off and take parental leave. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a big change because for probably up until 10 years ago, there weren't a lot of industries that offered any sort of paternity leave. Um, and there are, some, there are some really generous packages out there. So I think that's great. And I think that helps the conversation. I think, you know, men start talking to each other about the types of leave they can access and how they're going to use it and mm-hmm. what that means they're going to do at home with their kids. And I think that's great for because to me, if we can help men access that parental leave, that's the game changer. Yeah. Once they get yeah. that time at home and yeah. their hands on caring, they see how see how wonderful it is and they feel that difference. That's how you really get them to to own their their journey of fatherhood. Yeah. Um, when they don't have that, when they're kind of back to work quickly, it's it's harder to persuade them about what they're kind of missing out on. So that's been a big change. Um, and I think they're they're two two um two catalysts that I think will help to sort of continue to transform fatherhood. Uh, where it's tricky still is this there's sense that dads are still not they don't belong in the school or in early childhood centers they don't sort of belong in the mums groups I think that's still the next stage of where we need to see things go where men are more welcomed in um, being the, the main contact for a school or being involved or reading to a class at an early childhood center or going to a, to a parents group I think that's still tends to be the dominion of of mums. Mm-hmm. Um, where I hope it goes, look, I just hope in, you know, 10 and 15 years, you know, the the, the prospect of a dad um, taking time off work or a dad being in a parents group or a dad being involved at a school is completely normal and uninteresting, that it just becomes part of our fabric, right, that we don't have to have conversations about this is new or this is a, this is a step forward for dads, that it's just become part of, how our societies are set up yeah. and that our kids don't even question it, that it's just it's just their normal existence. You know, to me it's like if this advocacy is successful, you know, and more men are able to embrace fatherhood and, and prioritise caring, then it will become a boring topic because it will just be <laughs> part of who we are. Um, that's what I'm really hoping is that it doesn't become this thing of interest or controversy, that it's just it's boring. So, look, I'm hoping that in the next 10 years, at least in Australia, we're going to see 
a big expansion of like paid parental leave. We're going to see lots more men mm-hmm. being comfortable being a stay-at-home mm-hmm. dad mm-hmm. or job sharing a role or working part-time so they can take care of their kids. Um, and I think what I hope we also take out of that, like the lockdowns and all the Zoom and remote working, is that men feel more comfortable being very open and expressive about their fatherhood. You know, mm-hmm. I find this an interesting thing, at least in Australia too, where a lot of men tend to not talk about their experiences of fatherhood or they'll, they'll, you know, they'll talk about other common interests with their friends before fatherhood. And I think, you know, with men working remotely a lot at the moment, their homes are visible, their kids are more visible, and uh-huh. I think it almost gives them permission to be more open about the juggle they're doing as a father. So I hope, and then again, in the next 10 or 15 years, we're going to see men just be much more open and honest and, you know, vulnerable at times about how they're juggling their lives around their kids and yeah. talking about their kids and how parenting has made them feel and the ups and the downs. Cause, and even I see that in my group of friends, you might ask them how their kids are going or how they're juggling with work. And they're always sort of deflective, like, Oh yeah, it's all fine. It's all fine. Anyhow, like back to sport. Yeah. Sort of yeah. So, uh, that's what I'd like to see too, is this men, just feel much more comfortable just talking about what it's like to be a dad with each other and not hiding it behind the layers of other stuff as well. Or another common one is, hey, man, how are you doing? Well, the kids are doing well. The wife is doing, how are you doing? <laughs> you know, yeah. just like, yeah. Yeah. No, I, I totally hear that. Totally hear that. I still get those sort of answers when I ask our friends who are juggling uh, full-time jobs and the homeschooling at the moment. You're like, how's it actually going? And my male friends will be like, oh, look, it's it's challenging, but it's okay, and they move on. But when you talk to our the mums, you get a much more honest answer about just how hard and exhausting it is. Yeah. And they feel they can be more open about it. Um, and it's, yeah, I, I hope men feel they can be more open about that too. When I took leave to take care of my son, there was a moment where I said to my wife, I'm seriously considering not going back to work because I don't know how I can go back to work and leave behind everything that I've learned and and experienced the past three months that I was taking care of my son. And it was a real struggle to be able to go back to work. And so like you, I do hope that you know, that doesn't become like a wow moment anymore in all facets of society, that it becomes, that it's something that's taken for granted, just like moms taking leave from work to take care of their kids is taken for granted. Like that's expected. You're supposed to do that. Going back to what we talked about earlier, it'd be nice to to see in future years that when a couple go to an obstetrician or a doctor or, you know, or go to talk to a midwife about being pregnant or having the baby that, you know, those health systems and other care systems, you know, acknowledge that there are two people in the room uh, and co-parents and less of that's talking past the dad just to yes. the mum, you know. Yes. Again, all these little subtle signals that yes. will make a big difference and, and yes. help dads feel more welcomed in, in the space of fatherhood. Yeah. That would be great too. Just, you know, and there are small things that can happen on a day level, but I do feel they have like a butterfly effect.
are getting to the end of our conversation. And I just want to say thank you for everything that you've been able to share with me uh, tonight for me, this morning for you. <laughs> yeah, no, it's been, it's great. I, I love talking about this stuff. I could talk for hours. So I used to do uh, this thing with some of my guests and then I kind of got away from it. So you are the one who I'm going to bring it back with in that towards the end of the conversation, I would always invite my guest to talk to their children in first person as if they were there listening to you and just tell them a anything that you have in your heart about them. But I want you to project your message into let's say 10, 15 years from now where your daughter wow. is, you know, a teenager and your little one yeah. would be what? He would be a preteen? Uh, yeah. So he would, if it was 10 years, he'd be 12, about to turn 13. Okay. So just on the cusp. So just years. on the cusp. Okay. So in 10 years, you're like going to have two teenagers about. <laughs> Yeah, good Lord. Terrifying just thinking about it. So, you know, our current day and age is because of COVID and just everything else. I mean, I feel like we're living in a very chaotic moment in in Mm. history. And so there's no way of us knowing what 10, 15 years from now is going to be. Hopefully we're around to see it and see our kids grow and thrive and find their place. Yeah. But based on what we do have, which is our own history, the history of the world and so far and so forth. Can you speak with your children, your their future selves and give them a bit of wisdom to help them deal with the possibility of an unknown future to us for now? Yeah. Wow. Okay. So I guess I would, I'd, in my mind, I'd be sort of sitting down sort of closely to them, looking them both in the eyes and having a kind of a quiet space. And I would just say to them, you know, um, you've probably seen, you know, and now you're getting older and you're smart and you're learning things at school. You can see that the world can be a, a volatile and uncertain place and it can always seem a bit daunting at times can seem a bit scary when we have the disruptions that we've had in in recent years um i guess you should always know first and foremost that mom and dad are always here for you we're always going to be your rocks we have an unending reservoir of love and adoration for you so if you feel like the world is getting too much you can always come and talk to us uh, and know more than anything that you will be heard and listened to. But we understand sometimes you're not going to want us to solve your problems. You're just going to want us to sit and listen and get things off your chest. And there'll always be a safe space with us. There'll be no judgment. There'll be no criticism. There'll just be listening and trying to make you feel better about your place within the world. Um, but also know that we believe, I believe you are incredibly capable, compassionate, caring, intelligent individuals. 
You can do anything you set your minds to. Don't let anyone, anyone tell you otherwise. Yes, you may get setbacks, whether it's at school or out in the wider world, but that's just a way of gaining experience, of learning, of growing stronger, of getting more mature, and they'll only set you up um, to do even bigger and better things in the future when you are an adult and you can go out on your own and stand on your own two feet and have your adventures. Um, that, yeah. I mean, look, I think that would probably be it in, in, in a nutshell. Um, I know it's a big thing for me. I've been thinking about, you know, approaching those teenage years is, is making sure that they always feel they can talk to us. They mm-hmm. don't need to hide things from us or be scared of our reaction mm-hmm. and knowing that they can talk and genuinely believe they'll be listened to and heard. And I think, you know, I think back to sometimes my adolescence and I felt a frustration of I'm not being heard. Mm-hmm. And I think that goes a long way. You know, I, my, my kids are super young. I, you know, I haven't had that experience, but I feel for me that's kind of a starting point, right, is like to be able to have a calm discussion about whatever it is, mm-hmm. school, sexuality, romance, mm-hmm. future careers, whatever, and just talk it through and mm-hmm. listen and really try and read their cues and hopefully let them feel walk away and feel like, wow, I felt that was good and I felt like I was able to talk and they understand me and they kind of get where I'm coming from. And to me that's, I think, a long way about going in the right direction. So, yeah, that's kind of what I would say. My friend, thank you so much for, again, for the time and conversation, for sharing of your story and uh, for agreeing to come on to the podcast to share about your experience and for the advocacy work that you're doing over in Australia. I know here in the U.S. we can use a lot of those same efforts too. And so just to be able to share your voice and your story and your perspective uh, to be able to add it to the narrative of what's going on here. I hope that you know something can come out of that and, and push a more favorable narrative of fatherhood forward and begin to tweak and change some of those things that we, we've been talking about for the past hour. So thank you very much.